everyone. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to our first ever episode of yeah. Eurofile. <laughs> my name is Kate Walker. And my name is Catherine Rory. We're so excited that you're here listening. So excited. So grateful. This is a podcast about our love for Europe. And we're going to dive into all the things that we love, like beauty and famous figures. Film. What else, Kat? History. Food. Anything that we find interesting and fun to talk about and learn that we want to learn more about. And it'll be random. You know, no we rules. are by no means <laughs> professionals. You know, I no, like to joke. We're figuring it the fuck out. We have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> I like to joke, you know, that we're cultural anthropologists actually but could not be farther from that so no we are just two friends who wish you know for the most part that we were over there all yeah. the time the meanest thing my parents ever did to me was <laughs> what birth me in the u.s <laughs> just absolutely rude very rude of them <laughs> to do that to you rude do you even love me? Like, would it have killed them to fly you know? over there and give birth to you? I know. Well, I was actually told recently by one of my friends that, well, I don't know about everywhere else, but France doesn't have, it, you don't get a citizenship if you're <gasps> oh, born there. you're right. Yes. So I guess. Well, okay. Rude we that my ancestors didn't come over later. <laughs> I'm not quite sure how, to, how I feel about that. Yeah. But <laughs> I feel attacked. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we're going to talk about all that fun stuff. And obviously we're under no illusions that Europe is this utopia with no problems. Obviously right. we're well aware that colonialism happened mm-hmm. and the effects are still felt today. And we'll definitely dive into those things. But in the meantime, we're so excited to share with you our first topic. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to pick something, obviously, that was iconic and sort of get it out of the way. (laughs) And (laughs) I feel like it's done to death, but here we are doing it again. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm going to talk to you today about Coco Chanel. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> love Coco. So excited. I mean, yeah. I use love in... Yeah, I know. She's pretty controversial, wanna... actually. Yeah, so. like, I kind of want to take that back, but she is yeah. so she, very interesting. I'm excited to dive in because it's been a while since I've studied yeah. her and She's gave her an some interesting attention. woman. She led a very juicy life, very <laughs> controversial life. Mm-hmm. All right, I'll just... Get into, get into Tell it. me about Coco. <laughs> well, she was ar- she's arguably the most famous designer and or fashion house ever to exist. Um, I would not. You know, argue. everyone knows. You know, everyone knows like the double C's, the interlocking C's. You know, like McDonald's. You know, <laughs> Chanel. <laughs> They're the same. Nike. Very similar. The very <laughs> iconic logo. <laughs> Um, but her life is also very interesting, so I'll get into that. So she was actually born Gabrielle Chanel on August 19th, 1883. She is a fellow Leo, 
like oh me. really oh my gosh no wonder we like it. Yeah, fire signs. That is an Aries. She had, so she's yep. a fire sign. God, of course she was a fire sign. I know. Um, Diva. Sometimes I do not really understand the selfishness, but we'll get into that anyway. So, um, so she was born Gabrielle Chanel in Salmour, France, which is located in Western France, about like three hours away from Paris in like a charity hospital, which she was very against people knowing this, knowing mm-hmm. anything about her background. And, you know, I, I found it interesting because I was looking up how far away Salmour was. And, you know, people are probably gonna hate this pronunciation. I'm really sorry. But um, I love how Americans always think of things as like the distance in time rather than oh distance yeah. like actual like kilometers miles like this means nothing to me i need to know how much time it takes to get anywhere i don't know whatever it's just a weird americanism you know <laughs> yeah nowhere else I does that i don't think they'll be like oh it's only 60 kilometers away and you know yeah well also like the but how long over there <laughs> but yeah I, I, that means nothing we might as well be 10 hours or 20 minutes. I wouldn't yeah. know. So I think this is a fun little tiny fact about her. They actually misspelled her last name. And it's actually spelled C-H-A-S-N-E-L. So the S was dropped because it was mis- misspelled in the poorhouse. They thought like maybe someone wasn't as educated or something or like didn't really oh my gosh. understand what they were saying. Yeah. Would, would that be pronounced any differently? I think it's still Chanel. Okay. So later in life, she never got around to correcting it to her, the original spelling, because it would have gotten, she was scared it would have gotten out that she was born in a poorhouse, and that was really something mm-hmm. she really wanted to hide. She was especially almost like a, like a Gatsby type, where she would lie yeah. about her origins, which is interesting but it makes sense you know yeah all, um, given the time yeah exactly and so they were always poor and her mom died when she was 12 and she died at the age of 32 which is my age uh, and she had six children her father wasn't really around and he really lived a nomadic life selling random things so he was like i'm sure the first hustler expander for her you know, always hustling in her, her life. Her dad was a major hustler. Mm -hmm. Um, he wasn't even around for her birth and her parents weren't married when she was born. So there's also another element of illegitimacy of, which is why she kind of tries to cover that up too. So when her mom died, she was sent to a convent that ran an orphanage and that is where she learned to sew. She later would say that she was sent to live with her aunts and her father sailed for America, which is a lie. What? Because it was, yeah, because it was, you know, just trying to cover the stigma of poverty, legitimacy, Mm -hmm. and her essentially being an orphan. Yeah. So when she left the orphanage, when she, she aged out of the orphanage and she was able to work as a seamstress. And she moonlit as, as a cabaret singer, which apparently she wasn't very good. 
Oh, really? She was just pretty and alluring. And I think, like, it says the officers liked her. So she yeah. kind of understood that she could get male attention then. Mm-hmm. And she sort of used that to her advantage. This is where she earned her first name. So there's two rumors, basically, of how she got her nickname. One is from the song that she used to sing, and it's called Who Has Seen the Coco? And there's also another story about her name, and it could be potentially a derivative of the word cocote, which means kept woman. Oh, so, yes. And that's kind of fun and juicy. Yeah. And she was very popular with military boys, which really carries over her entire life, which is kind oh, of a bummer. Yeah. yeah. So she, after her stint in the nightclub and working as a seamstress, she worked in Vichy. Then we transition into her cocote phase, her kept woman phase. Ooh, okay. And her first lover who kept her, his name was Etienne Bossin. It's her first real introduction to true wealth. Etienne has secured the bag. He's showering Coco with gifts, with clothing, pearls, jewelry. There's a fun rumor that one of her nephews, who she was very close to, was actually a love child between her and Etienne. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's juicy. So she didn't have any children that she claimed, but, you know. There's this little rumor, which, you know, could happen. Birth control didn't exist. So anything's possible. Here is where we learn that Coco is a savage. She (laughs) moves on. Not exactly. There's an overlap. There's definitely an overlap with his, Etienne's friend. And she starts having an affair with Captain Arthur Edward Cappell. And there's a quote about this time that she says, Mm -hmm. two gentlemen were outbidding me for my hot little body. (laughs) Oh my God. What was this? Like the 1910s? Probably. Yeah, I think. Yeah. And. (laughs) Oh my God. Yes. Call it like it is. Like this Leo isn't playing around. (laughs) Yeah, she knows. Like, she knows exactly what she has. Um, But Kappel was actually the first one to finance her shops. And he also got her an an apartment in Paris. And this is what we like to call in the scientific realm. She has a magical vagina. Like, that's it. (laughs) She had to have. (laughs) Like. God. How do we get on this level? I mean, I don't know if I want to be kept, but like, yeah, I would like someone to send me, like, set me up in Paris. Yeah. That'd be great. Anyone out there um, just looking for a random bank account to throw money in, I'll give you my, <laughs> I'll give you my Venmo. <laughs> so apparently Captain Capel, I hope I'm saying this right. Um, was- I have a little fun fact. Yes, please. Um, I know that I remember his nickname was Boy. Yes, his name was, was so Boy. So cute. Just yes. Boy. Yes. 
So I just um, picture him as like this. He's English, right? This like okay. English so I will dandy. replace all of the Captain Capel with boy <laughs> going forward. That's so cute. So apparently, the boy was a member of the British upper class, and he was known for his sartorial choices. He was a very chic dresser, and she was very inspired by this. And he was the main inspiration for the Chanel look because essentially she takes men's fabrics and tailoring because women wore in corsets during this time. And she basically gave them room to breathe, you know? Bless. Is this the first wave of of feminism? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) And also it's said that her Chanel number no. five bottle that she designed after his, it was either a toiletry bottle or a whiskey decanter he had, but either way, cool. he was very influential to oh, her aesthetic. That's cool. Yeah. So the boy. Just boy. All- I think it's, it's okay. just boy. Okay, so boy, boy. <laughs> so boy invested all his money in Coco, even though he never really remained faithful to her as Kat and I like to say, hey, Matt, all men are trash. Yes. Okay, fine. They're not all trash. There's some nice guys, but I'd say the majority men are trash. Amen. And so if Coco and her magical vagina can't have a man be faithful to her, like, yikes. Good luck to the rest of us. We're in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) So he even got married and their affair didn't end so oh yeah well yeah, that's on her too i guess great. you know text yeah kind of. not ideal in any form really <laughs> he actually died in a car crash Ugh. and there is a quote that i copied and it says 25 years after his death chanel said his death was a terrible blow to me in losing capel i lost everything what followed was not a life of happiness oh feel for her yeah. Oh my god. I mean, so he yeah. must have died young. Yeah. You know. It didn't say how old he was, but mm-hmm. yeah, I'm assuming she's I mean, anyone you love even if they're old, they stay with you, yeah. you know. I remember this yeah, I from Coco before Chanel. Oh, I tried to watch that. Too. I liked it. I haven't seen it in years. So if you're interested in hearing more about it or learning more about this time in her life, I would recommend that movie. Okay. I'll watch it. Definitely. I love Audrey Tattoo. She's so cute. Yeah. The cutest. Anyway, sorry for interrupting. No, please. (laughs) This is what this is about. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. And we're learning like who. Yeah. So her first attempt at a business was that she became a professional milliner, which means she makes she made hats and she opened her first boutique on 21 Rue Kemball and which was a very fashionable shopping street in Paris. Mm-hmm. And she even opened a boutique in the resort towns of Deauville and Biarritz. And that was where she sold her first fashions made from men's undergarment fabrics. Ooh, Jersey. Jersey? Yeah, yes. Oh, yeah. Uh. Scandal. <laughs> Jersey and Trico. I don't know if it's Trico or Tricot, but essentially Liscandel. You know? Oh, oh Trey. 
(laughs) (laughs) You know, she's moving us forward into breathable fabrics with no corsets or boning. And these crazy undergarments can live your own very active life. It's really the first form of sportswear. Wow. she created this. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So funny sportswear. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what we wear every it's day like now. It's like swimming in wool at this yeah. point. <laughs> so, you know, thanks. Smelly. <laughs> Gabrielle for this achievement. Yeah, seriously. And modern woman. Yeah. And in 1923, this is when she showed her famous Chanel suit. Uh, and I will have one of these is, when I'm an older woman. <laughs> it is a collarless jacket and a well fitted skirt that hits just so right mm. below the knee. Perfect. Yeah. Obviously, it was really a big deal. I mean, between the fabrics and the silhouettes, she just blew up and became very famous. And she's also credited with making the LBD, the little black dress, uh, popular. Well, black thanks, was... Coco. <laughs> black was usually worn for mourning at this time. And so when she showed it in chic evening wear, she changed the course for the color black. So wow. New York. That is so cool. Thank her. Yes. <laughs> the city of New York. We owe her a lot. <laughs> And during this time, she employed some members of her family to walk down the boardwalk in Chanel designs for some free PR. Why not? I thought that was fun. Like, Mm -hmm. just strolling down the promenade in Biarritz. But in 1919, she opened her Maison de Couture on 31 Cambon, Paris. And that is where it still is today. Uh, and by the 1920s, she had cut her hair into a bob. You know, she's a modern woman. Absolutely. She doesn't need frivolity. No time wasted putting her hair into little low chignons. No. <laughs> I really want to personally thank her for this contribution. I feel this in my soul, especially as a Leo. It's credited that she made the tan popular, and I'd just like to say thank you, boo. Thank you, girl. Like, (laughs) thank you. Yes. I remember hearing about that. Uh, I know. What would – I just love a tan in the summer. I can't believe that that wasn't a thing. Yeah. Well, it was basically showing that you didn't have to work in fields, and so it was a sign of aristocracy and wealth to not be tan, but – if you have leisure time, you can lay out in the sun, go on cruises. Mm-hmm. So it really also does symbolize wealth too, but just in a different way. And she was all about mm-hmm. like sportswear being active and being a modern woman. So this totally makes sense and aligns with her brand. Right. Like, Also, another thing that's fun that was con- attributed to her is the camellia flower. It is a note in her Chanel number no. five fragrance. Oh. And it is also a motif used in her branding. And I love this. The flower was associated at the time with a courtesan based on a book by Alexandre Dumas, La Dame aux Camellia. Oh my gosh. So I do think, I know it's, That's cool. it's so fitting that yeah. she would adopt this flower 
it was used on her little black suit in oh my i love that that's so fun i know oh so her she really is such a great example of showing how to take something from your past or sort of take this like i think in french i think the word is malgouté like bad taste and make it good taste make it chic yeah you know yeah and time after time she yeah i just love that too Oh, and one more thing. So another iconic thing that Chanel is known for is the quilted purse. Yes. No? And it was supposed to essentially keep a woman's hands free by using a chain strap. Oh. So, you know, you're a busy woman. You got shit to do. The chain strap was actually influenced by her time in the orphanage because their caretakers would wear a strap called a chatelaine which is basically a decorative, like, religious belt. Oh. And, yeah. Wow. And the quilting was inspired by jockey's uniforms, which, you know, as horse racing is very, especially in Deauville, is very big there. Okay. And the lining is burgundy, and it's to reflect the color of the convent's uniforms. So she sneaks in these little things. Yeah. Wow. And, and you'd think she would It's have, kind of like a she fuck you to your past. I know. Mm-hmm. It's like owning it, yeah. taking it. It's mine. Luxury. Yeah. I just love that. Mm-hmm. And so it, it just all contributes to this like lore legend of yeah. her, you know? Brilliance. I know. Truly. Yeah. And so I'd like to go on a little fragrance tangent and talk about Chanel numero 5. Chanel number five. Oh, <laughs> Another trailblazer. Do you know anyone who wears it? I think older women. Yeah. I, no one. I don't know anyone me, personally. Yeah. But you know, I remember you know, like my friends' suburban moms growing up. They all they would smell yeah. like Coco Chanel. I mean, Mademoiselle. I feel like is more our. Yeah. Oh yeah. But I think. But number five. Numero Sink mm. is it's definitely a time capsule. Yeah. So Gabrielle, or I should say Coco, commissioned this by a French-Russian chemist, and it really broke the mold because there was only two kinds of fragrances for women at this time. And if this doesn't say anything about women, I don't know what does. There are the light floral sort of innocent scent, Mm -hmm. and then the deep, musky women of the night kind of scent. (laughs) So yep. it's the virgin and the whore trope, you know? Yeah. And here she is mm-hmm. trailblazing a new path that we don't have to be either of those things. We could be all of those things. We could be right. none of those things, you know? Well said. Thank like you. <laughs> <laughs> but as for the name number five, there really are a couple different theories of how she chose it. But I think the main consensus is it was just the the number five formula that the chemist showed her. And so because she loved it so much, she showed her collections once a year on May 5th. Oh, once a year. And always thought the number five was very lucky for her. So as far as in pop culture, Chanel number five is still a best-selling perfume and is absolutely one of the most influential culturally 
perfumes around. And the best quote that I always think of is that Marilyn Monroe quote. Oh you my know, God. The, yes. When she's asked, what do you wear to bed? Chanel number five. Yeah. Like, I don't care if it's a cliche. Yeah. Don't care. Like, it's just, just right. glamorous. And- <laughs> I know. I love her. Um, but my personal favorite Chanel number five spokesperson is probably Nicole Kidman, where she did this sort of pseudo homage to Moulin Rouge with oh. Baz Luhrmann. <laughs> and that's the, the director of Moulin Rouge. And it's just so sweeping. Oh, I need oh. to watch this. Yeah. I'm sure I've it, seen I mean, it. It, it's essentially Moulin Rouge. Yeah. But Give it set to, me. to Claire Delune. <laughs> just your heart, you know? Yeah. We'll, we'll post. We'll post that on the Insta and you guys can see that too. And we'll link it in the show notes so you guys oh, can experience yeah, that too. <laughs> okay, so back to the actual Coco. So around this time, Coco became a user of all kind of, kinds of drugs. Oh. Um, she was particularly taken with morphine and really used that until her death. I mean, oh you know, anything to take the edge off, I guess. Yeah. I but, mean, clearly, um, as she said, after a boy died. Yeah. It's very sad. And she also liked cocaine. But I guess that sort of goes with flapper, roaring 20s. Not surprising. Yeah. You yeah. know, they didn't know any better anyway. Mm-hmm. Probably. Or they just simply did not mm-hmm. care. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably more Everyone's smoking, right. <laughs> you know. Science wasn't as advanced. <laughs> oh, thank God. Um, but with her British aristocracy connections, um, many of which were through affairs, mm-hmm. Coco was able to meet all kinds of people. And that included being maybe perhaps more than an acquaintance with Winston Churchill, which will come into play later. Yes. That's the juicy stuff. Yeah. So she was surrounded by these people who are apparently anti-Semitic, and that also influenced Coco. I'm going to go into a little bit about the next phase of Coco's life. It's World War II. And it's a doozy. And and it's a bummer. And this is where we kind of fall off. Yeah. (laughs) She is really considered a controversial figure because she was a spy for the Nazis. Mm -hmm. And it really is, it was rumored, but really in 2014 is when documents were released and it shows that she was a Nazi collaborator, agent. So that is fairly recent, you know? Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if people don't know this. You know, yeah. unless you're someone like us who yeah. enjoys looking at these things for fun. Yeah. And enjoys exactly. learning about this. Because I had yeah. no idea until I was in college. I know. And in true hustler fashion, she, as soon as the Nazis get to Paris, she shuts, shuts up shop and moves into the Hotel Ritz. As one does. A strategic move because that's the HQ for all the Nazis in Paris. 
And she apparently fell in love with this Nazi asshole, Baron Hans Gunther von Dinklage. Mm. And Ew. yeah, it's not great. It's so, so basically she oh, is awful. Yeah. So basically she's solicited by the Nazis to participate in this Operation Modal Hut which is Operation Model Hat. Basically, they use her as a well-known designer to go on this trip, and they know she knows Churchill. So basically, she's supposed to send a letter from the SS, or Nazis, to Churchill, and it was basically to negotiate a German surrender, and it's all very not kosher. I don't know, like, every detail. I d- didn't really want to, like, dive because it's just, mm-hmm. like, just a, a phase of her life. But essentially, she was a Nazi spy, and that's truly a shame. And so after the war happened, she was interrogated, but was ultimately never charged with anything. And she said she knew it was because Churchill wow. intervened. Yeah. Wow. Like they were good enough friends. And I think it was also because she knew a lot of people in British society were anti-Semitic and also maybe knew a little too much. And so I think he was just like, this is not the can of worms I want to open up. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So basically she's the ultimate hustler. And after that happened, she exiled herself to Switzerland. And this is when in her exile, she is noticing fashion is changing. This is when Dior creates the new look, the nipped-in waist. It's like these men creating these constricting styles, you know, not considering the modern woman. Obviously, they are lovely and luxurious and glamorous, and she is offended, essentially. Fashion is getting dominated by men again. And so she decides to take it upon herself to return to Paris and she financed it entirely from her perfume fortune. You know, and it's amazing to me how much money brands can make from fragrance because they're really not that expensive to make. Yeah. So they really get the the bulk of their fortune from fragrance and she's the first person right. to do this. I love this. So as a businesswoman, you know, she can be an expander for women. <laughs> Maybe not the Nazi shit, but so she goes back to Paris, has a successful business, and in 1971, at 81 years old, she went to sleep one night and told her maid, this is how you die. And she dies in her sleep. <laughs> what? Are you serious? She really lived with zero fucks. She was like, mm, okay, today's the day. I'm over yeah. it. Yeah. She passed away at the Hotel Ritz. And that is the life. I'm really sorry. It's very long. I got carried away of <laughs> it happens. Coco Chanel. Wow. <laughs> Kate, that was so great. Thank you. I don't like doing book reports. Um, I was sweating. I... <laughs> Well, get used to it. This is a podcast. I know. It's been a while, but <laughs> we're going to figure it out. It's true. And it's going to be great. <laughs> well, I love that. I just love 
diving back into her life because she was so controversial. But, you know, I think it's good to remind everyone that, yes, she was a Nazi sympathizer and anti-Semitic and... Not even a sympathizer. Like, she was actively a part. Active. And used it to her advantage. She knew what she was doing. Exactly. And I think more people should know that. Yeah. But, you know, is that going to hurt the Chanel brand? No. It's going to keep going on forever. Mm -hmm. Probably is one of the most iconic, luxurious brands Mm-hmm. And I mean, I for one look forward to the Chanel presentation every fashion mm-hmm. week. A lot of have great minds pretty, have come after her. Pretty iconic set designs that uh, I love to see yes, every yeah. season. We'll share some of those. We'll share all the fun yeah. things about yeah, Chanel. Of course. Just look at our Instagram. Okay, Kat, what do yes. you have for me? Okay, so I have a teeny tiny little baby subject today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> love it. I wanted to keep it in France, Mm -hmm. keep it on topic, Mm -hmm. and I know that she began in southern France, so Mm -hmm. I wanted to stick to that region too, and I am going to tell you about the tarte trapezienne, which is (gasps) a little dessert. Have you ever had it? Do you know what it is? I have not. No. Okay, good. I had never heard of it either. Okay. And it involves Roger Vadem, Brigitte Bardot. It's a fun little story. I'm here. I'm listening. (laughs) Great. First, I'm going to give some credit to Alex Ledsom, wrote an article for Culture Trip website, which Mm -hmm. I love. So in 1955, a Polish baker moved to Saint-Tropez on the French Riviera. And Mm -hmm. his name is Alexander Mika. And he opened a bakery kind of in like the central square of Saint-Tropez. And that is the same year Brigitte Bardot was in Saint-Tropez filming mm-hmm. And God Created Woman, which was, you know, directed by her then-husband, Roger Vadem. Mm-hmm. And sidebar, mm-hmm. that was kind of the, one of the first French language films that I had ever really seen. Oh, really? Yeah. And my first Love Brigitte that. Bardot movie. Mm-hmm. So I highly recommend it to When who... she is behind the drying sheet oh my and God. her little feet, her little butt. Yeah. So sunbathing nude. Derriere. I mean, just and the there's that scene of when the guy comes to her house and she's laying out nude, mm. and he says, "I've got you a car." <laughs> and it's a little toy car. <laughs> I knew you'd be excited about this story because okay, we Tell love me about Brigitte. The so uh-huh. it is like a little brioche bun. that is sliced in half and it's filled with like a vanilla lemon creme mixture topped Mm -hmm. with little crystallized pearls of sugar it's elegant and it's so pretty and so it got its name the tarte trapezienne because roger vadem hired alexander mika the baker to cater his film and god created woman for all the crew and brigitte fell in love with it and she named it the Tarte Trapezienne. Oh, I just think this okay. story is so cute because mm-hmm. Saint-Tropez was not very well known at the time. It was not like a place to go. And Brigitte Bardot was not a known person. This was kind of, this film mm-hmm. was kind of a flop. But it was, people started to know about both Saint-Tropez and Brigitte Bardot at the same time. Like kind of because of this movie. Mm-hmm. The, the Tarte kind of has become a symbol for like the glamorous Saint-Tropez of the 60s. Mm. 
Mika eventually trademarked that name, and he changed the name of his bakery to the Tarte Trapezienne. And it's still there, and I think they have several locations now. Nice. The recipe is still a huge secret. It's their super special thing. They make the pearled sugar on site in old copper cauldrons still. And I just thought it was the most, like, delightful little story that encompasses everything that we love. Lemons, France, Brigitte, movies, pastry. (laughs) Who are we to deny any of those things? Mm -hmm. That's the story of the Tarte Trapezienne by Alexander. Oh, I love that so much. (laughs) Okay, and we are going to have this little section at the end where we chat about things we've eaten, things we've watched things we recommend, things we have listened to. Yeah. So, Kat, do you want to tell us a little recommendation? Yes, please. This week? Um, so, actually, my recommendation is something that you first told me about. Um, so, okay. I'm stealing it from you. Okay. Um, when I went to France a couple years ago, and you told mm-hmm. me I need to pick up one thing from the French pharmacy... <laughs> And that is Nukes body oil. Uh-huh. Yes. Nukes. N-U-X-E. Yeah. And it has changed my life. Mm-hmm. Um, oh my gosh, this, this body is oil. <laughs> where we would like to start our crusade to get <laughs> Nukes back selling in the U.S. Okay, so my recommendation for this week is the second book of the Call Me By Your Name series. And it is set in Trastevere, which is a neighborhood in Rome, which I used to live in when I studied abroad. And so it just gives me the best feels. Once I went to a cheese tasting, cheese and wine tasting class, and there was this cheese that smelled exactly like the ricotta that this guy would make on my walk to school. And I just started crying in that class. So yes, this book touches me immensely. I just adore Rome. I adore Andre Asimov. He is such a special writer. So intelligent. Yeah. Watch the movie. Watch Call Me By Your Name. And then read Call Me By Your Name. And then read Find Me, the sequel. Yeah. So done and done. And then Kat. Yes. To finish our little word of the day. Would you like to say what our word of the day is? Of course. Today, our word of the day is cuckoo, which is French. And it means, hey, hi. It's just a casual (laughs) way to greet someone. What I learned about cuckoo is that it's an imitation of a bird sound. Really? Yeah. That is so cute. It's just mm-hmm. the cutest thing. It's the cutest. So yeah, cuckoo. Cuckoo. But we're so excited that you're here listening to us still. That was kind of long and we'll figure it out. <laughs> but stick with us. It'll we're really better. appreciative. <laughs> and it's been really fun. I'm really yeah, proud I know. of I know. Me too. I'm so proud of you. Thank you so much for listening. Thank and you, everyone. Ciao. Catch you next time. <laughs> Bye.